0: Welcome to Sacred Realms. What? It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I am your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I am hot, and it is muggy and gross, and I'm pretty sure there's a mosquito buzzing around in here somewhere that I'm going to try to kill at some point. So if you hear a loud clapping noise, it's just yeah, me it's- terminating <laughs> insects. <laughs> thanks for the uh, Thanks for the heads up on that, Matt. Yeah. yeah it's it's not texas's greatest time of the year right now no um, it's not 85 degrees and humid is i don't think anybody's favorite so no uh, unless you live in like the swamps and that's what you really enjoy which if you do then more power to you. I'd like to understand your frame of mind and the way you go about life. But uh, I'm sure it's beautiful there. Sure. Why not? Um, I. Other than that, I'm good. We're coming off of Memorial Day weekend, and uh, it was a very fun, uh, not relaxing weekend. We had a slate full of activities. We went to a Taylor Swift DJ night with our significant others, which was interesting and fun. Uh, Some of us had a little bit more fun than others (laughs) Yes, that is true um, <laughs> um, I look, you and Jackson are, you are enablers and, uh, that's true. And, uh, I'm just very happy that my wife was gracious enough to, to assume, uh, designated driver duties for the evening. Well, that was a misstep on your part. That was more my, than a little bit. That was my bad. Sorry, <laughs> y'all. But, uh, <laughs> it was it, the spirit of Swift got into me. Uh, that's, that's a hard one to shake. Uh, sh- even it's though It's a hard one to, to shake it off. I was going to go there. You beat me to it. Fine. <laughs> line <laughs> Gosh. All right. Well, now I've done my uh, Taylor Swift bit for the night and my fiance can be happy. Um, and then, I mean, just into a long weekend of pool and family and uh, grilled meats of various kinds and uh, just a good time all around. We, we did. We opened the pool this weekend and uh, man, that is just such a magical, magical weekend. Uh, Memorial Day is about the latest that we ever do it. And uh, it was great. I was jonesing for some pool time. It, it really hit the spot. And we got the kiddo in and, and he was really enjoying it. So pool nuggie is the best nuggie in my opinion he really does thrive i mean i don't i don't have like favorites but it it was cute yes Yes. he's he's adorable um it was really fun we had a good weekend we are i think both kind of exhausted because we're now old and doing things like that all weekend instead of sleeping and recharging uh does take its toll so yep (laughs) old we are you're correct um But still, uh, not too many reasons to complain other than the fact that we probably just haven't been playing quite as much Tears of the Kingdom as we need to be playing. That is so accurate. I I feel like I've played a bit. Um, I feel like I want to be playing about half again as much as I am just because I just want to dig into every part of this game that I possibly can. And I'm constantly... Cause I'm trying to do some specific things right now. I'm trying to, I've completed the memories and I'm trying to then go through and like, I filled out the map today and now I want to go visit some points of interest that I haven't been to yet. But every time I try to like go do something, it is just the ultimate game of, Oh my gosh, look over there. That's something cool. Uh, I'm trying to like travel to a new area, either via the sky or uh, on my horse and, and like invariably within five minutes I'm like oh that's that looks cool I think I want to go check that out and then spend half an hour to an hour not doing what I originally intended to do and then sometimes even forgetting what I originally intended to do (laughs) yeah no same Z's um Uh, Definitely been my experience as well, and I'm going to have a lot more to say about that, and especially talk about some of the things that have been distracting me from the things that I set out to do whenever I log into this game. Um, Before I talk more about my experience, before we talk more about your experience with this game, Matt, I I am pleased to introduce our guest for the evening. Y'all know him, you love him. The one and only Mr. Max Nichols has joined us to talk about Tears of the Kingdom. Max, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic. Really excited to be back and chatting on this momentous occasion of a new Zelda launch.
0: I know Uh, that we had like uh, in the lead up to the launch of this game, there was some uncertainty about because I know you've been very diligent in kind of your spoiler dodging, right? Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. As as you should be, because, yeah, I mean, how often do we get a a game of of this magnitude, you know, Uh, let alone a a Zelda game? I mean, this is a this is an event and I feel like it's not one that you want to, you know, you know, you don't want to ruin your experience or, you know, um, you don't want to discover something um, Mm -hmm. via the Internet that would have been better and, and, you know, more enjoyably discovered through actual gameplay. So it's completely understandable. Um, That being said, I was definitely happy that. Got one. I was definitely happy that after only three weeks on the market, we're all kind of feeling like, OK, we've played enough to where we have a pretty good, you know, uh, a pretty good sense for the kind of conversation that we can have without like ruining bits of game for each other.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've we've passed that like every mechanic is a new revelation, period and now we're on to like okay we know the shape of this game we know how it goes now all we need to do is avoid specifics story moments and stuff and we're good
0: yeah and like that's full disclosure that is the reason that i went straight for the memories because i knew that like those would be making their way around the twitter verse and everything else in a much more difficult to avoid way um Like, especially now that we're three weeks in, I knew that all that stuff was going to start popping up and I did not want anyone to tell me anything that I didn't find out for myself. So that is the sole reason that I uh, just went straight. I think last week I dedicated four-ish hours and did everything related to uh, the memories and the story up to where I'm at in the game now. Um because I did not want any of that to get ruined for me. And I'm very glad that I did. It's, it's a very rewarding um, system of storytelling that I think was really great in Breath of the Wild. And I think they even improved upon uh, in Tears of the Kingdom. So I'm, I'm very glad that I did that. And I highly recommend to anybody uh, who doesn't want that kind of stuff spoiled for them to kind of make that a priority. Um before it gets the Zelda
1: version of defensive driving.
0: Exactly. Yeah, you you got to you got to safeguard yourself cuz not anyone's going to do it for you. So uh, and no one cares about your feelings on the internet generally speaking. So um do it for yourself. Uh, Man, that's, think, that's that's a good yourself. rule of thumb just for life in the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> yeah, um, true. Uh, so uh I hear I hear you're getting a lot
1: of new listeners. Big surge because of the big new Zelda game. Yes, um, it's been a lot of fun. Which is already the second best-selling Zelda game of all time, by the way. Uh, Beat Ocarina of Time. Uh, Wow, that's crazy. Anyway, what was I saying?
0: Right. uh, (laughs) Should I reintroduce myself? I haven't done that in a long time on the podcast. I think that that would probably be a good idea. Yeah, we've we've definitely had... um, We've definitely had kind of a, an influx of new folks and uh, almost a thousand a week. Yeah. And and we're obviously we love that. We love that y'all are here. Um, you know, you're on this same journey with us. And um, this is a little bit different format than, than you're usually catching us uh, trying to do. But um, definitely a unique moment in time. And so, um, yeah, definitely got to celebrate that. Um, but to all of you listening, Max is one of our recurring, um, you know, one of our most Uh, frequently um, featured voices. And uh, yeah, I'm going to give him a moment here real quick just to tell you about himself before we dive into this thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm a professional game designer. Currently, I am a senior activity designer working at Bungie. So I help make, uh, you know, missions and combat encounters and that sort of thing. Um, I've taught some, you know, game design classes at the college level, including world design um and i'm a long time kind of zelda community contributor like i used to run a fan site 20 years ago and these days i run um a website called hyrule interviews um which is just a database of every interview i can find with anyone who has ever worked on a zelda game i've got like a thousand of them now um now that matt mercer is worked on a zelda game i'm tr- wrestling with the question of do i need to go put every Episode of Critical Role in my database, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, I'm super into Zelda. That's the reason I'm a game designer. So I love coming on here and chatting about it. It's highlight of my month every time.
0: Well, we love having you, and you always bring a wonderful, uh, fresh perspective and a professional perspective so with that's uh kind of the main selling point of the max episodes is getting some deep dive knowledge that is hard to get elsewhere so yeah there's a reason that the first uh, episode we ever had max on was the ocarina of time water temple episode right it's like <laughs> we feel like we need professional <laughs> opinions about this one and we got them so there you go yeah uh, man i want to go back and listen to that one sometime like i'm um, that was a fun episode <laughs> yeah it, it was, was yeah <laughs> I I actually listened to it probably, I
1: don't know, like six months ago or something. And it was it's still fun. Still fun. Listen, although
0: (laughs) I think my favorite Max episode was the Nehru sand ship in Skyward Sword, where we got to talk about the transition mechanics of sand to water and the boat and all that. That was a crazy fun one. Yeah, well, uh, that was kind of somewhat of a prophetic moment, right? Because uh, much as many people working in games right now are staring at a Zelda game, trying to figure out how exactly they did that. Uh, that was kind of a similar moment in which we're kind of looking at the the water to sand, you know, moment to moment transition and just saying like, huh, that's interesting. Wonder what end into that. Yep.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I had a hard time explaining it all. I had to pull in a technical artist friend to help me understand it.
0: Well, this whole game is basically that repeated at infinity like how did uh, they do this? What is this is just magic? Like, there's no way that this is possible, but it is in front of me. So it's obviously possible. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah, it's wild. I mean, this is going to be Heroes of
1: the kingdom oh. is a technical marvel in a number of different ways. Uh, it's kind of just bonkers what they have accomplished on on this in this game on the switch uh, at a smoother frame rate than Breath of the Wild had. Uh, you know, tracking the physics history for 30 seconds of every single object in the scene, um, which Breath of the Wild didn't have to do. So they must have done some crazy optimization since Breath of the Wild.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I these are all the things that I can't wait to talk a little bit more about. And one of the reasons that I really felt that it was important to have you specifically on for this kind of stretch of bonus episodes where we just kind of freewheel about this game for the first time. Well, I tell you guys what I really want to do is get into some housekeeping, get it out of the way. Uh, That way we can just dive straight into this conversation without any further impediments. So with that being said, if you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly reexamination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Additionally, one of the benefits that Master Sword patrons and above get is that we read their names every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are William, Connor, Shepherd Street, Matthew, Chris, Daniel, Fallout 907, Kelso, Tiffany the Star, Daxel, Patrice, Stephanie, Darknook, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Lennon, Melanie, Kolku, Aiden, Rowan, Josh, Nick, Dante, Gep, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, High Hyrule Interviews, AKA your guest of the evening, Garrett. Andrew, these are the most legendary of individuals they are truly wonderful people and uh i don't know what's a what's a good one matt I, i'm gonna let you think of the one this week you never but get to this is this. your favorite part this is your favorite part of it yeah i know but i want you to do one and then i'm oh, gonna sit over okay. here and be critical of whatever you say um i would gladly go into any challenge shrine with nothing but my undergarments and whatever the game throws at me with any of these people there you go that's good yeah that's like, really good. I like that one. I don't think they would probably want to go in there with you. No. I mean, nobody wants to see me in my undergarments. <laughs> that's that's for sure. But look, if it was more of a like modest clothing setting, like you know, no no more protective, but maybe a little more covering, then I think everybody would be more comfortable anyway. So, yeah, yeah, what if it was just you and that that like toga that you get in the sky? Oh, totally. I would totally do that. Okay, yeah. cool. Cool. That yeah, sounds I'm so up. mad that you can't upgrade that toga. I know, it's super disappointing. Oh, you can't upgrade that no, at all? It, no, it's just like the old, uh, the ancient gear you get in Breath of the Wild. It's just permanently level one, and you can't do anything that's with actually, it. That's actually, that's really disappointing. That's yeah. one of my favorite outfits in the game. You can't look like the Link from all the key art in all the advertisements. Uh, well, yeah. okay. I mean, unless
1: I'm going to unlock it, a better version of it in 20 hours or something. And I just haven't done that yet. So that, that would be
0: kind of nice. <laughs> could could happen. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, in the meantime, a little disappointing to hear, but that's OK. There's plenty of great outfits in this game. All righty, y'all. This is normally the section of the show where we would get into the Sacred Realms rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played and the feelings that it made us feel. This, however, is not a normal season of Sacred Realms. The Sacred Realms rundown is on a break until we come back to talk about Phantom Hourglass uh, sometime in the next few weeks. Uh, What we're going to do instead is to have a bit more of a freewheeling conversation about Tears of the Kingdom as we've done over the last few weeks. And Max, I, I don't want to beat around the bush too much. I just want to i want to kick things over to you. Um, and let's go ahead and start off with, you know, no particular area of focus. I, I would just love to hear some of your first impressions generally about this game. And especially kind of um, how you were feeling about it when you picked it up for the first time, knowing so little about it.
1: Yeah, so I managed to go into it without even knowing that there were new abilities. Um, I was expecting to launch into this game and get the same set of four abilities we had in Breath of the Wild, to be completely honest. Um, so I had no idea that Ascend existed. I had no idea that the time reversal one existed. I definitely didn't expect anything like Ultra Hand's kind of crafting uh, or the Fuse system. So like, I was... I was getting my mind blown every couple minutes during those first opening hours of the game. Um, it, uh, you know, it it didn't quite feel as mind-blowingly new as Breath of the Wild did. Of course, um, you know, it didn't quite. I don't think it had any moment that hit as hard as looking out at the Great Plateau did that very first time six years ago. Um, But, you know, that's a high bar. I I can forgive the game for not making me feel like a child for the first time in 20 years like Breath of the Wild did. Uh, But other than that tiny blight or not blight, uh, it's the saying, you know, whatever problem compared to Breath of the Wild. It was it was really an amazing couple hours when I was learning all these mechanics and seeing the sky for the first time and getting that big cutscene when you jump off. and. Uh, The first time I jumped into a chasm expecting it to be, you know, just an underground shrine, like some self-contained cave or something. And instead I got what I got. Uh, So I had it had those moments pretty frequently for me for those first first couple hours, especially first five or 10 hours still um, surprising me with dramatic revelations like that.
0: What, what to you was the most surprising of all of those things? Um,
1: I think the thing that gave me the most, like, was the most joyful surprise. Like I, I kind of like had the biggest grin on my face was the first time I went into a chasm and realized the extent of what was down there. Yeah. Um, Like that was, I was not expecting it. I was not expecting a whole other, you know, world's worth of landscape underground.
0: And I mean, did it, Uh, did you realize, like, did you have a pretty good idea right off the bat that you were looking at an area that was roughly the size of the overworld above it? Or did it take you a minute? Like, were you still thinking that you'd fallen into something just a little bit more um, contained or segmented than that? I had my, like, I I spent a few minutes kind of thinking, like, did they?
1: No, no way. There's no way it's that big. And, like, playing around. Um, I could tell immediately that it was going to be a big recurring thing because it had this whole systems that they were teaching me about how it works um, and mechanics they were showing me about how to navigate down there. Like, it was clearly a big deal that was going to keep happening. But it wasn't until I lit up the first Um. Light route that I've I I was like wow they did it it is as big as Hyrule <laughs> um, well and what it, seeing it, seeing it go to the map and seeing the Robbie say like oh this is like corresponds to the shrine above it I was like oh crap there's one of these
0: for every shrine and that's what I was wondering because it, it it's tough to really get a sense of the scale of the depths until it kicks you to the map and then I mean since you can kind of freely scroll between depths surface and sky and it's all the same size map together um i think that's probably the biggest context clue for sure yeah
1: uh i'm trying to remember this moment
0: like i don't think you could
1: scroll down to the depths on the map until you got the first light route maybe you could i i want to say they like Activated that part of the menu when you scanned the first light route.
0: I didn't try, and and to be completely honest, I don't think that I re- I was really interacting with my map at all um, until quite a little ways after that. Because I, you know, I I know some people kind of go off the beaten path once they get down to the surface for the first time, and I mean, famously, there's stories all over the internet of folks who, um, you know, didn't even try to go check out lookout landing. Uh, You know, they just, you know, <laughs> like they, they hit the ground and then it's like off to Kakariko Village or off to like, you know, Gerudo Town yeah. or whatever. Oh, that whatever. looks
1: interesting. Something like 10 miles away on the horizon.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so like, I mean, you know, like we said last week, there's people who have played 50, 60 hours of this game and they don't even have the glider yet. So, um, which is incredible. Um, oh, boy. I didn't know. I So I didn't know if this game was going to have the
1: glider. I went through the whole Great sky Island or whatever it's called tutorial area. I didn't get the glider. And I like went down. I like, I have a note written down. I was taking some notes and one of my notes is like, does this game not have the glider? Like seven question marks. Um, so I was like actually afraid I was never going to get a glider in this game and they're going to replace it with like crafting mechanics.
0: <laughs> would, would you have been disappointed in that?
1: I would have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if we want to get into my thoughts on the crafting yet, but uh.
0: (laughs) no, I I think um, maybe not quite yet. I will just say that I agree with you. I think um, the glider to me is one of those things that's so quintessential about a Breath of the Wild style Zelda game. Um, The fact that this game is so inextricably linked to systems and, um, you know, the same specific like overworld of Breath of the Wild, I I think it really would have felt it would have felt like a removal of um Mm. of some you know uh, some options for the player um that that would have felt not great
1: the only world where they would have gotten rid of the glider is if they're replacing it with something else that fulfilled the same role from a different angle probably yeah um because it's obviously like an essential part of just the the action ecosystem of this game like imagine moving around this overworld without the glider it would be miserable
0: no yeah Um, yeah, for, for sure um or, or at but least, I couldn't
1: imagine what that would have been.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the only way I can imagine them having done it, like, it, were the glider to not exist, I think there would have had to be um, a, a bit more density to the Sky Islands, right? Because at that point, um, fast travel to shrines in the sky would have been a much bigger mechanic. And then that just becomes like, okay, now, you're, now, now the main traversal mechanic is just free falling from the Sky Islands um, to the overworld. So, yeah, I I didn't know to what extent
1: crafting was going to be, like, the main activity or not of this game. Um, Like, there's a bunch of interviews where, like, both Iji and Hidemaro Fujibayashi, they're the producer and director, respectively, of this game, have talked about how they were inspired by Minecraft and Terraria when they are making Breath of the Wild, Um, which you can see that influence clear as day in this game. and uh, so there was a part of me that was like half wondering if this was going to be just a full fledged crafting is what
0: you're doing in this game at all times. Can I just I had not seen anything. Can I just say that I, I hate that Notch has that satisfaction. It, yeah, that guy is <laughs> who's who's your trash.
1: Uh, He's the alt right creator of Minecraft.
0: Oh, ooh, that's not a great look for anybody.
1: Yeah, he's, he's a billionaire. Uh, <laughs> I think he bought like Beyonce's old house or something. Um, but yeah, luckily he's disappeared from public view for the most part. So I'll take the wins where I can get him.
0: <sighs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think we can all be very glad that this did not just turn into uh, Zelda, the crafting simulator. Um and I, I personally, I, I don't know, Max, if you would agree or disagree here, but that's kind of what I'm looking for you to answer: is uh, do you think that it is well implemented from a density perspective? Like, is it too crafting heavy? Is it not crafting heavy enough? Et cetera, et cetera.
1: Mm, now, that's entirely a matter of taste. Um, I I think they probably hit a good. Balance for trying to appeal to different player types. So, full disclosure, I as a player, I'm the kind of player who I build the shortest, simplest bridge I can make to get where I want to go. I don't spend a lot of time playing with the Lego pieces um, to make stuff unless it's in service of a goal. Like if I'm trying to get somewhere, I'll make what I need to get there. Um, I I kind of don't necessarily enjoy crafting extravagant things just for the sake of crafting. Them. So you but have not made a Gundam yet. I have not made a Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like, I'm not, I'm not one of the people who's going and figuring out like, what's the limits of what I can do with the crafting systems. I'm not like, and like making videos for TikTok because I'm not, I'm not that kind of player. Uh, the crafting is a tool in service of the other stuff I care more about. Um, so for me, I I occasionally feel like there's too much crafting uh, like for my personal taste like I'm like oh another Korok where I need to build a extravagant vehicle to get across a chasm to get him to his friend and I like I'm not always excited about that um, that's fair but I I think it was probably the right call for them overall like if I had made this game I would be ecstatic at the just vast legions of millions of people that are, you know, being creative with these tools that I gave them. Um, like <laughs> they're probably loving it so much that I'm worried that they're going to
0: go even harder in that direction in the next Zelda game. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I I think one thing that's very interesting about this is that I've seen quite a lot of people and I actually consider myself one of, one of those types of uh, players where, they are not traditional fans of the crafting genre. The Minecraft of, of the world are, are not really their thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, fans of games that are typically more linear, right, um, where, you know, even if there's like some deviation possible, it, it's mostly just like you, you're still more or less being kind of funneled along an overarching path right and that's one of the reasons that i like so many of the more recent 3d zelda games previous to breath of the wild right is that um, i'm not the kind of person who and we've talked about this in past seasons the pure exploration just the complete untethered exploration of some zelda games is not necessarily um the the thing that i'm looking for the most it's not the thing that i enjoy the most um and it's it's funny because breath of the wild did this exact same thing right where I am not really a fan of survival mechanics in any major way, but breath of the wild managed to implement them in a way that made me enjoy them. And even though I knew that's what they were, like I was playing that game and I was like, Oh cool. It's, it's like a light survival sim. Um, that was something that I was still enjoying a ton, despite the fact that I just am not a, a frequent player of those kinds of games. And, uh, by that same token, tears of the kingdom, um, Is is really making me enjoy crafting and um, the the economy of like different materials and uh, like vehicle pieces and whatnot. It's making me enjoy that in a way that I probably wouldn't in many other games. And I certainly wouldn't be seeking those games out. Yeah.
1: So there's this thing that the Zelda series is very good at. Um, well, Nintendo is very good at it, is what I should actually say, um, but in, in both Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, they basically took concepts and found a way to like hone them and focus them into a a kind of a a slimmer and purer version of themselves that was a, enjoyable for more people um, that you know previously existed in other games um, but had not yet hit huge audiences or hadn't hit that's not Nintendo true audiences. Hit enormous audiences, but you know, had hit more audiences than it had hit before. Um, you know, breath of the wild, the version of this was the survival mechanics. The, the act of exploration was easier. Um, and more like natural and organic for a lot of people. Like people had made waypoint lists. like you gotta tr- figure out how to get places kind of exploration games before. Obviously. Um, but like the actual act of navigation was made fun for more people by making it, uh, approachable. Um, and feel it was so polished that it felt natural to people in a way that it, it doesn't necessarily in many other games. And then tears of the kingdom is doing it with, well, it's doing it with crafting. It's doing it with, um, whatever we want to call the fuse mechanic. Like, cause you, you kind of, you kind of, craft weapons with fuse you craft objects with auto uh, auto build and ultra hand um and those feel like slightly separate systems to me um and they brought those things closer together like a lot of games have crafting systems where you go up to a, a tool bench or an npc and like you go into a menu and you're like, I'm gonna spend seven of this resource, eight of this resource, and I'm gonna build a weapon. And then it like a tool of progress bar fills, <laughs> and you get
0: a weapon. Yeah, like a um, Skyrim with blacksmithing. Yeah, or where you yeah, where yeah. you're basically removing um, a selection of items in exchange for what is what is a new item. Yeah. And then like like look at Minecraft. Uh, have either of you played Minecraft? Not much. I- I've seen people play Minecraft more than I have played. So.
1: Uh, Minecraft is uh, a major touch point because it's one of the most popular games ever made. But like you open up your inventory and you have a little crafting screen and you put your items in there and it creates items with a menu. And then you go out into the world and you place objects in the world. And by placing objects in different combinations, you can build things. Um, And especially once you get into like Redstone, which is like the logic system in that game. Um, But what Tears of the Kingdom has done is it's brought those two systems closer together mechanically. They're almost the same thing, right? Like, I half think you could probably drop—I haven't really tried this, but you could probably throw two weapons in the ground and fuse them with Ultra Hand, practically. You can. I might literally
0: fuse them like Fuse does. Um, I don't think it gives you the attack benefits, but you can attach them together. I have. Yeah, I have definitely attached two spears together and those two spears created one absurdly long spear.
1: Yeah, so like these two things that are normally very separate systems in other games are. Brought closer together so that like you can kind of your understanding of one can inform your understanding of the other Um, And like it feels more seamless to swap between them. And of course, they're all like things you can do fast and easy within the game without having to go into menus or go to NPC. It's just an ability you do right there in the world. So these kind of touches make it much more approachable for everyone.
0: So let me ask you, Max, of all the new abilities that we get, you know, we're kind of bouncing between uh, two big ones right now. We're going between Fuse and Ultra Hand at the moment. Um, but let's open up the discussion and bring Ascend and Recall into the mix as well. Which mm-hmm. which of those four new core abilities do you find to be the most technically impressive?
1: Um, the most technically impressive is, is the building. Uh, the... I keep forgetting the name of it. Ultra, ultra hand. hand. Using Ultra Hand to, to build things um, is the most technically impressive to me. Um, and pro- probably the second most technically impressive would be the... Well, I'm trying to decide between Ascend and Time Rewind. <laughs> because those are both impressive as well. Ascend is like... Game engines are bad at understanding the the space inside of solid objects. Um, Like game engines don't really have a concept of solid or not. All they do is they, they uh, simulate kind of the boundaries, the edges of objects. Um, So there isn't really a, it's hard for a game engine to do this thing where it's like, okay, is there solid space from this ceiling up to this, you know, other spot way higher? Um, because they don't understand solid space or not. Um so they 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 did it, they made that work, made it understand solid objects versus non-solid objects uh, in Breath of the or sorry, I'm gonna do that so much. In Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> um and that's that's probably they probably had to figure some stuff out there that most game companies don't have to figure out for their games. Um and then the 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 other one, the physics one, or sorry, not the physics ones, the time rewind one. Um, that's impressive, not because it's hard to track the history of an object like that in most game engines, but because of just the sheer amount of objects they're able to track. Um, like they've just, they've done some crazy optimization to be able to have that many dynamic objects with physics active and the history of their physics being tracked. Um, like that's just impressive from a purely optimization kind of efficiency perspective it's very impressive
0: well and i mean we're talking about optimization that took place over the course of six years right i mean um, yeah this is definitely the kind of thing where i feel like companies that aren't nintendo would have had a very difficult time um leveraging that amount of time into this project right yeah Um, But since it's so but since it's Nintendo and it's the Zelda team, I mean, it's kind of just I I feel like at this point, there's just so much trust there to where they can they can ask for that. And it's it's no big deal. And and consumer trust as well. Yeah, The, the Nintendo is
1: I mean, in a very fundamental way, Nintendo is able to tackle stuff like this one because of their business model, their first party studio. They don't even necessarily have to make their money back for each game they make because what their goal with a game like Zelda is is to sell consoles, not to sell games. Um, Like it's okay if they if they lose money on a Zelda game um, because they just need to sell Switches with it because that's where their real money comes from. I don't think they do lose money. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm um, I'm guessing they probably didn't lose money on this one. No, Um, but like it's it's just so much easier for them to justify things like delays, things like really long development times, things like we need an extra year for polish. No, nobody can really do that most of the time because an extra year is uh, I mean, on a game like this, you might your your first thought might be like, oh, it's like 25 percent more cost. But no, it's probably more like 40% more cost because the last year or two of development is when they have the most people working. Um, you know, the last year or two of development for a AAA game is when it costs more in terms of salaries, which is the most the biggest cost for game dev. Um than the earlier years because there's more people so when they delay a game by a year that's a huge increase in the the cost and a commensurately huge increase in the amount of money that game needs to bring back in afterwards um so nobody can really do that too often unless they're just really confident in their ip and their the quality of their game and stuff Well, I don't... Or they're a first-party developer. It's
0: it's hard to think of a studio that has more justifiable confidence in an IP than The Legend of Zelda at this point, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so like, underpinning... Like, we
1: talked about, like, individual abilities there and why they're impressive. But, like, what's really ultimately the most impressive part of all of this is the physics engineering and physics design in Tears of the Kingdom, um, which is what all of the others are built out of um try to think so think back to like other games you two have played where maybe there's physics objects in them like things that you can knock around or sure you know they can fall down a hill and they'll roll down the hill or whatever like can you think of any game like that where physics like inter uh interacting with the physics of things in the game world was a major
0: mechanic uh it was like portal two comes immediately to mind yeah yeah I mean, that, that's about it <laughs> like honestly yeah. as far as games that i've <laughs> played
1: so i mean the, and the reason that sorry i'm like super monologuing here but uh the reason that is is because physics is really hard and chaotic like the physics systems in most games, it ends up being kind of just flare or set dressing or like it's used for like a single object rolling along the terrain or something. Um, and, and it's because like taming the physics in most game engines is not something that's been done. Um, it's too unpredictable. It's hard to say, like, you, here's your power as a player is to do this physics thing because it's like, oh, that's just going to turn, return bonkers bugs and like be totally broken in all sorts of ways. allow players to skip things like stuff will get stuck inside of other stuff. You know, a tree will get stuck in a wall and vibrate and then shoot out of it at a thousand miles an hour and kill you. <laughs> um, you know, like that's... <laughs> That stuff is so common in games with physics systems that it's not even surprising to
0: most gamers, really. We're like, yeah, it's just that's what physics and games is. Yeah, it's crazy sometimes. Well, and um, to that point, it does make me wonder. And Matt, you you let me know what you think about this, too. But mm. I was thinking about this today. Um, I, th- I think in Tears of the Kingdom specifically, I take a little bit of that for granted just because... The basis of all of that, like Breath of the Wild, like even though your core suite of mechanics are different in Breath of the Wild, um, the way that physics work in that game, the way that the the engine runs, the way that the world functions it is still... Um, I, I hesitate to say the exact same, but it feels fundamentally the same, right? Like at its, at its very base, what, before you add the abilities, it feels the same. Um, and so obviously there's like a lot of training and education that Breath of the Wild did up front. And I'm very curious what this game is like for a player who did not play Breath of the Wild. And I, I would I've got to believe that's a fairly niche crew of people. But at the same time, maybe it's not. I mean, the Switch is a widely adopted platform, and um, it's, you know, I mean, Breath of the Wild came out at the beginning of the life cycle. I got to believe there's a lot of people who got Switches, you know, for, you know, Mario Kart or Party or, you know, Metroid or whatever between now and then, and who haven't played Breath of the Wild but got this game because of the buzz and because it, it was making a splash, right? And I'm very curious what this game must be like for somebody who did not spend time in Breath of the Wild,
1: yeah, I'm so curious about that too.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that it has a very similar feel, but to Max's point, it does feel so much more polished just with the, I think it mostly comes from the ability, the, the tracking ability of the objects with recall. Like, I don't know that Breath of the Wild could have done that. Like, I think the closest you get in something... uh in Breath of the Wild, something like that is stasis, and that's just freezing an object in time and then shooting it unidirectionally, you know, and with uh, by causing it damage, which was still very impressive. So I don't want to, like, you know, dismiss how impressive Breath of the Wild was for its f- physics engine as well. But, um, yeah, the the polish here is just insane. Well, that's why it's so this is it's so difficult for me because I've already started that, you know, probably completely inconsequential discussion in my head of like, uh, do I like this game more than breath of the wild? Right. Um, that that's an impossible (laughs) question to answer. And I'm, no one's even asking me to answer it. Right. It's just like a fun thought exercise (laughs) that's happening within my own brain. Um, but it's, it's so interesting because I think people have said this and I kind of agree. There's such an incredible level of execution and such a depth of potential actions that stem out of all of these things that we're talking about right now to where it does in some ways make Breath of the Wild feel rudimentary, um, which is just uh, – I can't be- – I still can't believe that, that that I'm saying that or that that's a thought that I'm having. Um, it, it blows my mind that that's where I'm at with it. Well, I, so I think that it's it's true, and the fact that – I think what it comes down to is Breath of the Wild took some abilities like Remote Bombs was cool, but not like overly amazing. Right. Like it's it's bombs. And then Cryonis was kind of the same. It was fine. Stasis and Magnesis were both like kind of the cooler, like, oh, this is unique and interesting. And Breath of the or Tears of the Kingdom has now taken all of their abilities are like potentially Games you could build or abilities you could build an entire game around. They are also potentially completely game breaking in so many dozens of different ways. (laughs) And the fact that there is like a duplication glitch that Nintendo has already fixed. And that is basically it. And like the, the lack of glitches, the lack of game breaking bugs, the lack of bugs in general is completely astounding. I have not heard of crashes in this game. I haven't either, which is insane with some of the Rube Goldberg devices that I've seen people build. Like I saw somebody oh, yeah. who created like a portable death trap that he trapped an entire company of uh, Bocoblins and a boss Bocoblin in, activated it, and it shot like 50 lasers and flames and lightning all at the same time. And the game was like, yep, this is good. I can do this, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, "What in the actual she is going on?" Like it's, it's it was crazy. the it was the dog in the room on fire meme saying this is fine, except the room wasn't on fire. The dog right. really meant it. Yeah, yeah, it, it was really fine. Yes, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Like there's there's this one I just did a shrine recently. Uh, I don't know if you do. You, is it okay if I talk about the mechanics of a shrine? Yeah, shrine the, yeah. That's that's yet? okay. That's okay. OK, so like, you know, it's got a, a bridge that's just made up of all these panels um, that are like attached together with like some, I don't know, chains or something. And you you can need to cross some lava by connecting the bridge to some wheels and having it roll across. And this bridge is made up of like. Twelve segments, each one of them is individually uh, simulated physics object and it, you know, the wheels pull the first one. And then it pulls the next one in the chain and then it pulls the next one and next one. So it's like 12 objects, each inheriting secondary kind of physics motion from the one earlier in the chain. And it just works. Uh, That's as a game developer, when I saw that, I was like, holy crap, that's miraculous that that worked. Um, I don't think any other games engine would handle that. Uh, and that might not seem as as obviously a big deal to someone watching if they aren't used to trying to make games work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you know, a bunch of different systems interacting, a bunch of different objects interacting, uh, chains of cause and effect all working in real time. In any other game, it would have like... They would have gotten inside of each other and they would have exploded <laughs> in 12 different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's technologically amazing. And then the other half of all this is... All the technology in the world doesn't do you any good if there isn't really good game design happening around making the physics system function well as like a thing that you can actually enjoy and play with, um, which they are totally doing in... Tears to the Kingdom, if you want me to
0: keep talking about that. (laughs) Well, so what what I'm honestly more curious about is something that you mentioned a few minutes ago, which is, you know, another element to this whole discussion is the fact that not only does all of this work, not only does it work correctly every time, uh, but it's also all happening on what is very old hardware at this point. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion happening around, um, and especially in the lead up to this game, there was a lot of discussion around like, okay... Uh, we love that we're getting this is the switch powerful enough to handle this. Like, because there were some games that we were getting on the switch in the past few years that were really taxing it. It seemed in terms of what it was able to display moment to moment. I mean, um, in the discord the other day, I was mentioning, um, age of calamity as a specific instance, right? Where, um, (laughs) that game like really, um, was, it really seemed like the switch was kind of groaning under what that game was asking it to do. Um, and, uh, I, obviously this game runs as smoothly or more smoothly in my experience than breath of the wild does while doing more. Definitely. And, and so I'm just kind of wondering is to what extent does the power of the switch even necessarily matter? Because like, I'm not talking graphics, you know, it's a given that like, this is not a 4k ray tracing, you know, it's. It, it, it's completely it exists completely outside of the graphics arms race that the rest of the game industry kind of seems to be um, in the, kind of in the middle of at all times.
1: Yeah. S- so the way people talk about console power always annoys me. Um, not not saying I'm annoyed at you right now, but uh, like people will <laughs> say I'm like, always oh, I'm at you.
0: Why can't we be friends? <laughs> <laughs>
1: People will say stuff like, "Oh, the switch is aged hardware," and it's like, no, it's 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 just as powerful today as it was the day it came out six years ago, um, seven, whatever it was. I think it was I think it was brand new when Breath of the Wild came
0: out. Yeah, it was a, it was a launch. Um, Breath of the Wild was so a launch day six six years and a couple months ago. Um,
1: like it's just as powerful. So any game that was amazing that we made then, you could make a game just as amazing now. Um, most of history's best games are made on consoles weaker than the Switch. You don't need to be winning the arms race um, for tech in your consoles to make amazing games. But what does happen is when it coexists with much more powerful consoles, people try, like people, uh, game companies will build stuff for the more powerful consoles and they'll get used to that. They'll get used to like the corners they're allowed to cut or the areas where they're allowed to be inefficient and then they'll try to go apply what they've learned to their Switch development and they can't cut those corners and they can't be inefficient in those same ways or they'll try to port stuff directly Um, and then people on the Switch will try to like keep up with what's going on on the stronger consoles. They'll be like, oh, we we need to play the same game that they're playing and it needs to work on the Switch and that's when you run into like slow down and um so it is a somewhat artificial problem but it is still a real problem uh, (laughs) that the switch is aged um all that said i do think tears of the kingdom is is doing things that probably benefit that would have been a lot easier on a more powerful console yeah like we've talked about you know Maintaining consistent frame rate, tracking physics history. Yeah. Uh, Nintendo just happens to do a good job of, uh, I mean, understanding the constraints they're working under and then working within those constraints. Well, I think it's it's
0: interesting, too, because, of course, people are going to mod this game, right? It will be running in emulators and uh, people will be kind of tinkering with it. But if the way that people were interacting in that way with Breath of the Wild is any indication, I, I to my very limited exposure of, of the emulation community i don't spend a whole lot of time following people who are working in that space not because i disagree with it but just because i don't emulate games myself um because i'm usually happy to play them on just like the console that i own right <laughs> you don't have time to play all the games you're not emulating <laughs> yeah i was gonna say my, yeah, my exactly my ps5 that i've turned on twice is evidence to that um but i mean it, it seems like breath of the wild emulation outside of some kind of goofy stuff like oh thomas the tank engine's in this game now you know, whatever um it seems like it mostly was just existing as like people saying hey here's what breath of the wild looks like in 4k with ray tracing right and i think that's actually such an awesome affirmation of the technical achievement that breath of the wild was and that tears of the kingdom is as well when um the suite of things that are just naturally in the game is so compelling that people aren't spending tons of time trying to make a new suite of systems within a game yeah uh
1: i mean i i haven't felt the the desire to go make mods for a game in a long time but I could, I could, I have occasionally toyed with the thought for Breath of the Wild. Um, cause it would be, a, it's just a game world I would love to make
0: content in. Uh. <laughs> So I, I've got one or two specific topics that I want to get into just a little bit more. And um, the first one is I want to go back to our discussion about the Great Sky Island and the ways in which it compares to the Great Plateau. Because I, I know from what you just said a minute ago, Max, and also from the thread that you've been kind of updating on Twitter ever since launch day, um, I know that you kind of come down on the Great Sky Island in a bit of a different way than Matt and I did it, at, at least I is it fair to say that you feel like the great plateau is maybe the more solid introductory area to a game. Yes. Uh okay. I do I do think that.
1: Uh, <laughs> but it's a it's a kind of a complicated prop question. Um the core difference is that Breath of the Wild overall is a more focused game than Tears of the King. Uh, Breath of the Wild has less going on in it, has fewer systems, it has fewer things it needs to teach, fewer edge cases it needs to show you. Uh, they kind of just don't have to teach you as much. So it was easier for them to make a tutorial area. Um, all they really needed to do was give you a blank slate canvas that had a little bit of everything, a little microcosm of the game. uh, And then say you, we are setting you loose in this little playground, um, the safe playground where there, nothing scales too strong. (laughs) There's not too much happening yet. And uh, go knock yourself out kid. And then you hear stories about like, you know, someone, you know, my, my kid played, for 40 hours and I came to check on them and they spent 40 hours on just the great plateau because it was that much of a full experience. Um, And so I don't think the great sky Island is as successful in that way as a microcosm of the game. It's more directed, it's less free. It has to teach you a lot more and the things it's teaching you are more complicated. Um, So it's, it's kind of more tightly controlled. Um, it has, it's more, it's more about like traversing along corridors than it is about going wherever you want. Yeah. And there's, there's still a lot of freedom compared to a lot of other games, but compared to the Great Plateau, there's a lot less freedom. So
0: your answer to this question kind of brought me to the heart of what I was kind of trying to get at and where I wanted to take this discussion. And, uh, the, so the heart of this whole thing is to what extent is, Tears of the Kingdom more or less focused of a game than Breath of the Wild. And I, I know you've just said you feel like Tears of the Kingdom is a less focused game. Matt, I want to pass it to you real quick. Sure. Do you feel like Tears is more or less focused of an experience than Breath of the Wild? I think it's far more broad, which intrinsically makes it less focused. Like Breath of the Wild was most definitely a an open world um, exploration with a little bit of survival thrown in there. Um, tears takes all of that adds two more areas, which require very different types of exploration. So you're having to invest in different mechanics like battery power for your, uh, various devices that help you get around the sky islands. You're having to invest in, uh, different ways to explore completely pitch black, pitch black areas of the depths, It also adds in, of course, that we've talked about all of the crafting and everything that goes into that. So you have basically two and a half times the amount of game, more density and a bunch of other mechanics thrown on top of it that are incredibly intrinsic to the game itself. And it just blows it up to huge proportions. And what is incredible to me about that is a lot of times games that get this way just feel bloated in a bad way and tears of the kingdom does not feel bloated it just feels big and i think the magic that is that nintendo has accomplished is by making each of these things unique and fun and rewarding all at the same time. Yeah, so it's complicated for me because I think that uh, I think that the gameplay loop is in some ways a little bit more focused than Breath of the Wild. Like I think that the 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 core suite of abilities and the way that you're using them work together in more seamless ways than Breath of the Wild did. You know, I like Stasis and Magnesis and Remote Bombs and all those things well enough in and of themselves. Um, they each had fun puzzles that revolved around them in Breath of the Wild. But the thing is that they never really felt like they were playing together in any major way, uh, which is the opposite of how everything's working in Tears of the Kingdom, right? Um, you know, I, it, whereas it feels like there's one specific use case for when you might want to use Cryonis you know, or stasis. Um, It feels like Ascend and Recall and Ultra Hand and Fuse. Like they're all just kind of this very fluent language of overall traversal and interaction with Tears of the Kingdom. Um, And so I think that is a type of focus in and of itself. I will say that one feeling that I've kind of had playing this game a lot over the last few weeks has been that In some ways, the world feels smaller to me than Breath of the Wild did, and I obviously it's not. It's it's bigger. It's bigger by orders of magnitude. However, you know I've spent most of my time on the surface um, up until this point, and then on the Sky Islands. I've explored the depths a little bit too, Um, but I mean, so in Breath of the Wild. What I was able to do on each playthrough is determine a path based on geography, right? And I would kind of set myself on that path and just conquer areas of the map at, at different times. Um, and the the journey and the travel to those different areas felt like it's, uh, you know, it, it just felt like it took longer because it did, right? You had you had some fast travel just based on shrines as you got to them. Right. But other than that, you've got the paraglider and basically you're just relying on like finding new Sheikah towers and jumping off of those and getting a little bit of distance via flight, you know? Um, but because this game has got the Skyview towers, which launch you so far up into the sky and then combined with the paraglider or jumping off of an Island. Like it just, it feels like the world itself is, um, it's just a bit more accessible from the get-go than breath of the wild was and in breath of the wild obviously you could like you could go anywhere in the world once you got the paraglider but in this game it sort of feels like anywhere is a little bit closer to where you are now just in terms of gameplay time than breath of the wild the was. shortest path to any given point is much shorter yeah yeah. And it's it's so interesting. Like I'm trying to I think a lot of what's happening for me right now is I'm trying to recontextualize the way that I interact with this world just because I spent so much time in Breath of the Wild and the way that I'm spending that time in Tears of the Kingdom is so different. And I think that somewhere in there is the is kind of. The feeling that I have, which is that, yes, Tears of the Kingdom is less focused. Um, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing necessarily, but I do think, um, you know, Breath of the Wild was much more about, t- to me, Breath of the Wild was much more about this world feeling massive. Um, and even though it was just just the overworld, right, and we've gotten two more planes of play On top of that now, that overworld felt somehow bigger than it does to me in Tears of the Kingdom. And uh, I'm not prepared to call that a negative in any way, but it does feel very different. Uh, I think I think a lot of people are going to have this automatic
1: knee jerk desire to compare the two. And at first glance, a lot of people are going to think and feel and say that Tears of the Kingdom is like the same game, but better. It's the same game, but there's more of it. Um, The same game with a better economy. Uh, And I think that that is a disservice uh, to, I mean, to Breath of the Wild, but also to just the the nuances that can go into them. They're very different games. They are achieving different things. And those things are still equally valid. And I personally probably am going to end all of this thinking that Breath of the Wild is, is my preferred game of the two even though by a lot of objective measures, Tears of the Kingdom is going to be a better game. Um, it, a lot of it boils down to like, what is the goals they're pursuing and and what are the goals they're achieving? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I definitely like think, ten. I think there's something there for sure. And it's obviously, it's the kind of thing where we're going to have to actually finish the game and then kind of sit yeah. in it for a while, you know? <laughs> six years, ask me in six years. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll get to it on the podcast before then and give it a real proper season. Which, and man, man you, would, you you would hope you really would. <laughs> I, I've said this on the Discord a few times, but I am kind of dreading the the plot recaps for for this game, and also trying to lay it out. Yeah, is going to be wow. I mean, wow. So. But to that point, without getting into specifics, because we've, you know, we're not going to be covering what happens in the memories or we're not going to be talking too specifically about the plot of this game. Um, But just a question for you, Max. I mean, generally speaking, do you feel that this game has a superior story to Breath of the Wild from what you've seen so far?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I think uh, there's this interesting thing that's happening where in Breath of the Wild... This actually gets back to what we were just talking about. In Breath of the Wild, I was like, I cared a lot about experiencing this, the backstory with through the memories, but I didn't care about it in a way that made me hungry to like seek out memories as a high priority most of the time. Like that, what I was, I was exploring. That was what I was playing for was to explore. And sometimes in the process of exploring, I'd find a memory and I would love it when I found one. But in in this game, I'm like, I'm finding myself skipping over vast stretches of land in order to get to a new new major uh objective because i want to see more story and i want to see more of the big spectacle moments um so like it is a better story and it maybe would have been a worse fit in breath of the wild because the kind of game breath of the wild was trying to be
0: yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely I'm I'm filling in the map much more quickly in tears than I was in Breath of the Wild. And a lot of that is just because I like we we're just talking about, like I'm trying to track down those memories and to really immerse myself in the story of this game. And so, you know, I was playing for a few hours the other night and in that time I made it from uh, I made it from like from Hebra to Elden to Lineru, and, uh, you know, to Korok Forest and Unlocked the Skyview towers for all of those areas, which basically means that even though I played only about 30 hours of this game, maybe I've unlocked functionally two thirds of the map pretty much, mm-hmm. um, which is which is definitely I mean took me much longer than that in Breath of the Wild. And I think it, it really is down to what you're talking about, Max, which is that there's there's more opportunity and more incentive to do that in this game. And for a minute there, I really felt like I was rushing. Like, I kind of felt bad about it. Um, and, and it was just like, man, I really feel like I'm just trucking through this too fast. And then I had to kind of pull back from that thought a little bit and and realize like, okay, this is okay because like I need to be objective about this and realize that even though I filled in so much of this like just the surface map, that's still just such a like in Breath of the wild, um so much of the game was getting to that next chica tower, right like that was that was such a an integral part of traversal in that game. and in Tears of the Kingdom it's much less of a focus and in some ways I think it is better to maybe just have as many of these towers unlocked uh, from the go as you can. um, Partially just because like, like we've been saying it is easier to get to them. Um, And then once you do have them unlocked, then you know, it's, it's a lot more fluid getting to different areas of the sky and then finding new chasms to get down to the depths. Right. I I mean, I, I agree. I think that there's a lot of, there's just a lot more to explore. So I didn't feel nearly as bad either about taking the four hours to go chase the memories and, and get that done because now I have the entire rest of the game to do. And I also have an easier path to, Hey, I haven't like filled in very much of Nakluda, and I don't have like any shrines over there and I haven't gotten the great fairy and maybe I'm, I'm going to leave Uh, Hebra, where my, I did my first dungeon in Hebra and I'm just going to go over to Necluda and kind of explore that area and try to fill in that a little bit. Mm. Now I have an easier way of doing that. Sure. So I think that for me, honestly, part of the incentive of doing the memories was getting to uh, a point where I could more easily traverse around the map, um, instead of having to take my horse from one end to the other. And that's been really yeah. nice as I've been going through well, you, the last. You now 10 probably hours. have
1: the, the towers and teleport points everywhere, right? I do. It's like you can quickly get anywhere. Yep,
0: I, I can get to any of the regions, uh, you know, in, a, in the click of a button. And then with uh, the various flying instruments that you can have between gliders, the gliding suit, and any Zonai devices you may have, um, it, it, it's pretty easy to cover large areas of ground quickly. Um, so I mean, now that now that you've gotten the memories, because I know that you, much much like I'm doing now, I've sidelined everything. Yes. In favor of just going and getting these memories. Yes. And you you've already done that. So what's your next what's your next trajectory? Now that you've gotten that finished. So I'm going to um, I'm going to get at least three of the great fairies open because I want to upgrade gear. One thing we've talked a lot about is just how incredibly hard enemies hit in this game, and even with. What do I, I probably have 10 or 12 hearts now, even with 10 or 12 hearts, I just want more ability to protect myself. And also one super cool thing about this game is you can get the amiibo armor sets from breath of the wild are just in the world to find. So, you know, I've gotten and got the fierce deity armor and trying to track down some other cool armor sets. Then I want to be able to actually create like a character build around those and get stuff upgraded. Um, I want to uh, go visit all the points of interest from Breath of the Wild. I want to go to Hateno. And I've, I've been to Tarrytown, but I want to do more stuff in Tarrytown. I want to uh, do whatever house quest there is, which I've already done some part of it. And I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't done the house quest. But I want to do uh, house stuff. Like I just kind of want to start filling in those those gaps of things that seem small, but like have a lot of import in the game to me yeah and um i think my next big objective is going to be doing a lot more exploration of the depths and trying to get more light roots active down there to see what's down there because i've run into some pretty interesting stuff but i don't feel like i know nearly enough about what is really down in the depths right now yeah um once i'm done with the memories i'm definitely going to be spending much more time in the depths i have put almost no effort whatsoever into upgrading my Zoni battery. And because yeah, it's important, it, it really is. And because of that, I've actually spent far less time, uh, playing around with Zoni devices than a lot of people have, at, at least as far as what I've seen on Twitter and, and places like that. I mean, um, because the issue is that as long as you have just like one energy cell, uh, the time that it takes to build a new device is, um, what i have found it to not be incredibly worth it in terms of How the much amount of use traversal you get out of it. yeah like the amount of use you get out of it because that one energy cell depletes so quickly um, and so yeah i just i i have spent far less time building devices and trying to make vehicles and stuff to get from point a to point b um, and and really have just been relying more on you know <laughs> skyview towers and my glider right yeah. Yeah. um what, what about you, Max? What's your next big trajectory that you're going to go and hit? I mean, what are you kind of working towards right now?
1: So I just completed my third dungeon. Um, and at this point I am going to be focusing on getting all the memories, uh, I, I, I left it till much later than you two are because I'm sixty hours in. But uh <laughs> but I'm now at the point where I'm like actually what's happened part of partly is that my wife has gotten all of the memories in her playthrough and she's like buzzing with excitement to talk to me about them. And I have told her not to talk to me about them, <laughs> I get them. So I want to talk to her about this thing she's excited about. So I'm going to go get all the the memories.
0: I've been bugging wow. Linda nonstop about it since I completed it. So, yeah, and I'm, and it was so hard, right? Because I was trying to balance the, like, again, I was trying to adopt a Breath of the Wild style, to the way that I was kind of trekking through this entire world. Right. Yes. Um, I did the same thing. Like I
1: played breath of the wild where I would go to a zone and I would f- thoroughly explore that whole zone before I would move to the next. Zone. Yep. I left a trail of completed zones in my wake. Uh, and, and this game I'm like flitting from major objective to major objective, regardless of what zone they're in. Um, And a major factor in all this is the fact that it's a world I've already explored, right? Right. Like we haven't talked about that yet, but like, of course I'm less interested in exploring every nook and cranny because I've literally already done that. And it's mostly the same landscape.
0: I I will Uh, say one, so exact same thoughts and feelings, Max, one area that I feel like I'm doing a disservice to myself in kind of flitting between major areas so much is that I'm missing one of the coolest additions to this game, which is, Uh, The systems of caves that are on the surface. Um, Oh, yeah. Which I mean, those are awesome. And I just I love them so much. Um, And I actually I have there not to spoil anything, but I, I have found that there is a mechanic in this game by which it makes it easier to seek out caves if that's what you want to do. Mm, And I have found this
1: mechanic as well. Yes.
0: I think it's really cool. Um, but I think once I'm done with some of the stuff I'm doing now, then I, I am just going to like luxuriate in the exploration of this world a little bit more. And I'm probably going to be parallel pathing, shrine grinding and cave discovery at the same time. Um, and, and that prospect sounds honestly very exciting to me, but, uh, um, yeah, definitely like, Exact same thing, Max. I mean, um, and, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where it makes me wonder how much different this gameplay experience must be for somebody who didn't play Breath of the Wild. Because, you know, again, like I am I'm totally comfortable just kind of going straight from Elden to the Gerudo desert. Right. Because it's like you know uh, been there done that and that's not to discount all the new things that are there i know that there are plenty of them but um even canonically i think it actually makes a certain amount of sense right because to me you know this link has done those things right he's kind of yeah. he's been all around hyrule and you know i mean breath of the wild was a game about um about ruins right about desertion about like the pieces after an apocalypse and Yes. The, Breath of the Wild felt so much more desolate and dangerous
1: yeah. to be wandering around the overworld uh, than this game I, does. I, this I, game I, is full of life and new
0: construction and I think desolate is more accurate than dangerous in my opinion. Like this game is far more dangerous. Like there are just enemy encampments literally everywhere. And I mean nothing is as dangerous as the Guardians were though. The, uh, the Gleocs would like to have a word. Yeah. 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 A Gleok and a Gloom <laughs> hand, maybe. Um yeah. <laughs> But um I mean, that's the, the Guardians were scary for sure until you got good at shield parrying. Um but desolate for sure. Um it's and that's one of the things I've liked so far about how this overworld is the same but different. It's it's not even so much about the upheaval, it's about How much more lived in it feels, how much more vibrant it feels, how much more um, populous and seeing the rebuilding that has taken place. I love that aspect of this game,
1: especially since you 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 look at it and you're like, I did that. Right. Yeah, that's because of me that this whole world is revitalized. Uh, assuming you played Breath of the Wild first. Well, <laughs> but, but
0: I love that like NPCs and, you know, like that's borne out in the interactions that you're having with characters in the game, too, um, which is which is very gratifying. Right. For someone who's played a lot of Breath of the Wild. um, And I, I really love little touches that are thrown into that effect. So here's the point where I kind of want to move. We've mentioned dungeons once or twice, and we have not talked about dungeons in any of our um, in any of our episodes so far. Um, because I had, hadn't done any, um, Matt, I think you had done the first one as of our, as of last week. Yes. I yeah. Did okay. Um, uh, but we've all, uh, we talked before we started recording this episode and Matt and I have only done one dungeon a piece and Max has also done that one dungeon. So, um, like we said earlier, a big part of a big component of conversation around breath of the wild was the extent to which it just did not have dungeons in the way that, a lot of people were hoping that it would um, and, you know, the, the divine beasts kind of being interesting in and of themselves, but not necessarily filling that gap. Right. So here's where I want to go ahead and have some conversations about the way that this game handles dungeons. And uh, obviously, that's that's pretty spoilery. Um, we're going to talk about the setting and context around this particular dungeon, um, the theming of it, things like that. And so uh, for that reason, I'm going to go back in here with an editing mic and drop in a timestamp for if you want to shoot past the dungeon discussion, then you're free to do that. Um, if you have not played and, and just to be more specific, we're going to be talking about the dungeon that takes place in the Reto area of the map. Um, so if you haven't done that yet, then you know, feel free to come back to this another time, please. Hey, listen! Hey, y'all. For those of you looking to skip ahead right past the dungeon section, the timestamp that you're going to be looking for is one hour and 45 minutes. And that'll get you clear of this entire spoilery little chapter. So let's go ahead and talk about the dungeon in the Rito area. And Matt, I said that I was going to bounce it to you first. Um, And so really... Just gut reactions. We have completed a dungeon. I know you and I have had some offline discussions about like having enjoyed it, but even finding some difficulty in like categorizing like where does the dungeon start, for instance? Mm -hmm. Like what are we even calling Mm -hmm. the dungeon? Um, So just just some general thoughts here. Sure. So like I, I know we talked a lot in the Breath of the Wild season about really missing this experience, this this very Zelda-specific experience. And there are a lot of games that have tried to duplicate the Zelda dungeon. Some successfully, most not. Um, and I, I think that Breath of the... Or, wow. I'm just doing the same thing. Max we need to make earlier. a jar for that. Yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing that Tears of the Kingdom has done is... Not exactly the same formula as like a super traditional Zelda dungeon. It's not an Ocarina of Time dungeon. It's not a Skyward Sword dungeon. I think it floats closer towards Skyward Sword-esque because of that thing that you mentioned right at the very end of your intro, which is where does the dungeon start versus where does it end? Or where does it stop versus where does it not start? And you would think like in Ocarina of Time, the dungeon starts when you enter the area and it says Fire Temple, Forest Temple. Like, that's the start of the dungeon. Yeah. Well, so- where, specifically when you walk through a door. Right. And you clearly are loading into a new area. Right. And Tears of the Kingdom, at least the Rito dungeon, which is the only one I've done so far, did this really cool thing. And, it's, and it was kind of Skyward Sword-esque where you go into a new area That is gated by an NPC in this case, like you can't get into this area without talking to the NPC and having your partner character with you. And once you enter that area, you don't load into anything. It doesn't look any different. It's literally a part of the overworld, but it sets you on a trajectory into the dungeon proper, I guess I'll call it. And the entire lead-up to the dungeon is really part of the dungeon. And that's something Skyward Sword kind of did also, which was the lead-up to, specifically, the Laneru Sandship is, is uh, another reason why I brought this up when we were introing Max and how we like his episodes, is the Laneru Sandship was also very much like this. Everything to get you onto the sand ship was really part of the dungeon experience. And everything to get you onto the windship arc was really part of the dungeon. That would experience. be the Stormwind Arc. Whatever. I was I was trying to remember the name of it before this. I was like is it like the the Windstorm ship? Is it the Windship? I knew arc was in Are, Yeah, I had to Google it. It's okay. the, Storm it's the Wind Stormwind arc. Wind arc, which is a really cool name. It's really cool. So uh, getting onto the Stormwind Arc was part of the dungeon. And it was so fun, and like the traversal mechanics, the utilizing of the sage mechanic uh, to help you through that, um, the combat that was part of it, which is another thing that was severely lacking in the Divine Beasts and Breath of the Wild, was there was basically no combat. Um, there was combat leading up to the Stormwind Dark. There's combat in the Stormwind Dark. Um, not not a lot. There's no mini bosses, but you know, there's enemies to fight and fighting those enemies is part of solving the various puzzles. Um, there's environmental hazards to avoid uh, when you're trying to solve the puzzles as well, but it it all kind of eventually wrapped together and, and it took me a bit to like sit with it after I had completed it. After I had done the really phenomenal boss fight, I really enjoyed the Stormwind dark boss fight. I liked it. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, It had it had those things that we look for in a dungeon, It had the sense of place, which was huge. It was amazing. And that's one thing we talked about being the best thing about the Rito Divine Beast also was it had the best sense of place. And I think that's true. At least I I thought it was an amazing sense of place here as well. Um, It had engaging mechanics. It had puzzles to solve that made me think and rethink how to approach a situation it had um, it had interesting mechanics surrounding those things like I, I, I liked the dungeon a lot. And when I first beat it and I, I thought to myself, that was divine beast short. And then I sat there for a while and thought about it. I I'd saved and turned the game off and went to bed and was laying in bed just thinking about it. And I was like. That's when I kind of came to the conclusion that all of the lead up was really also part of the dungeon. And when you think about the lead up and the dungeon together as the full experience, I think they did a very good job in a very um, Tears of the Kingdom style. Yeah, so it's so interesting because to me, this dungeon really does begin once you pair up with your npc and it's a little deceptive because once you get up to the stormwind arc it does like you still do get that loading screen Mm -hmm. right where it's like you're diving down through the cloud yeah it's like a new location discovered stormwind arc right and the game would have you believe that that's the official beginning of the dungeon but um i I think the your your comparison to the lenaru sand sea is very apt um And I think that that's one of the reasons that I enjoyed this so much as well. Um, Just uh, honestly, the the way in which you had to utilize ascend, like one of your core abilities to even get up there Mm -hmm. was really impressive and fun. What I love about this, too, is that this is a like the complex of islands that take you up to the ship itself. Like this is a seamless part of the world. You can see those from anywhere else on the map. But you can't access them without your NPC character. Like the the gusts will take you out. So, um I think it's it's a cool it is a really cool gating mechanic where it's not a hard um it's not like a geographic gate, it's not a loading gate, it's not a you can't pass this point at this point in the game like turn back now. Like it's none of those. It's just a the seamless integration like you said is is just mind-blowing and phenomenal. I I feel very similarly and I think you're right in structure the dungeon is still very similar to what we have with Divine Beasts, right? Where once you're on the ship, it's a game of unlocking four things to get to the boss, five things, whatever, right? Um, and then that unlocks the boss, and then you can beat the dungeon. I think one of the things that actually makes uh, the most difference, and I'm wondering if this is what people were just wanting all like th- that whole time, people were talking about how they wanted more traditional feeling Zelda dungeons. I wonder if a lot of that was just coming down to the atmosphere of things and the fact that the divine beasts all felt very samey with one another because it mm-hmm. was all and she- very samey to the shrine. Sure, because it was all Um, that was aesthetically similar. The bosses were aesthetically similar, right? Yeah, that's a huge part. Imagine if there was a single divine beast
1: in like Skyward Sword. It would be amazing. It would be so cool, right? <laughs> yeah. It would stand out so much. Uh, it is oh so much of it is the the fact that contextually it doesn't stand out it doesn't feel like its own thing
0: yeah I, I completely agree I mean max uh, I mean talking specifically about stormwind arc um you know what do you think about this game's approach to dungeons
1: yeah so stormwind arc was, also, my first dungeon. So even though I've done a couple more after this, I can still kind of talk about this from the perspective
0: of, like, this is how I felt when it was the first dungeon I did. And it's worth mentioning that the um, game does sort of funnel you a little bit towards doing that one first, just via dialogue and some other things. Yeah, everything pushes you towards Rito Village originally, which I thought was interesting. I yeah. liked it, but I thought it was interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a few, of the, a few of the like major quests, like, go talk to Impa, like, is towards rito village um but uh where was where i anyways yes i i generally feel like these are a huge improvement over breath of the wild but still ultimately less satisfying than the strong dungeon games like skyward sword and twilight princess and ocarina of time um it's probably a little too early for you two to make that that big of a judgment.
0: Uh, (laughs) So where do you, but um, I guess, where are you coming down though on this whole thing we're talking about in terms of where the dungeon actually begins and like, because based on how you feel about that, the dungeon is either pretty short or pretty long.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, I think of the dungeon beginning as when you get the discovery wind temple, like in my mind, that's when the dungeon begins. However, I do consider the lead-up to a dungeon part of the overall dungeon experience. Uh, I mean, just like in, I don't know, in the Wind Waker on Dragon Roost Island, you have to traverse some caves and go through some stuff before you get to the formal dungeon entrance, right? Um, There's like a quest to get to the dungeon. Um, I do think the approach to this dungeon is spectacular. Like It's like this cool... um, Like they could never have done it without introducing something like the sky, right? Uh, Where you kind of are are funneled along a specific route. Um, Like that's the main reason. Like that's one of the main reasons the sky is a big win for this game. Is it allows them to create these kind of um, more linear experiences, Uh, which is you know not something a lot of us necessarily thought of as missing from Breath of the Wild, but it kind of held their hands and or like tied their hands in a bunch of ways that now they're able to, to do that. Um, but it's like visually spectacular and it's got this really cool, like ominous, like tension ratcheting up feeling as you get closer and closer to this storm head. And like, you think you're getting closer and closer and you're like, Oh crap. It is
0: huge. It's so much bigger I'm than, further away thought than I would. thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really impressive. Uh, and a lot of that is a big win on the part of the soundtrack too. I mean, uh, we haven't oh, we yeah. haven't really talked about the music very much in this game at all, and I think it's spectacular. But um, the, the the soundtrack is doing this awesome thing where it's building intention as you get closer to the Thunderhead. As, as well. Right. Um, and so that combined with the fact that you are just like this, this monolithic weather system, like, like you're getting physically closer to it. Uh, but the music is kind of ratcheting up that tension as well. It's a bunch of things playing together that really create that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like to
1: me, that feeling doesn't feel like a dungeon, like that traversal to get there doesn't feel like a dungeon, but it is its own awesome experience.
0: I think like what I kind of compare it to also is each of the divine beasts had the same lead up. It was get with your NPC character, hit the four things on each divine beast to tame it or calm it down enough to board it. And this was like that, but way better and way longer and not just glide around with Teba and Teba and shoot uh, some cannons or swim with Sidon. And shock each of the legs. It was, it was very unique to the mechanics that you were going to use in the dungeon itself, and also, um, it was it, it was more traversal, which I, I liked a lot. Yeah, I think it was a vast improvement over the Divine Beast board. I mean, I just think to me, going back to this conversation of like, where do we consider the dungeon to actually begin? I I, I get what you're saying, Max, um, and I agree with it in part. But what I keep coming back to is in my mind when I was thinking to myself, what would a successful dungeon even be like in a Breath of the Wild style game? What I keep coming back to is there has to be an element of seamlessness, right, in order for it to really feel successful. Because so much of the success of Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom is in the seamlessness of the world. And um, and again, that's one that's one way in which the Divine Beasts were kind of underwhelming right because once you got to the divine beast it was very much like even though they were existing in the world they felt like um you know they felt like distinct zones and and travel in and out of them organically was not really had a loading screen yeah um and then once you cleared them you were not able to go back inside them again and yeah, and I'm not sure how it is with any of the dungeons after the Stormwind Arc, but I have gone to the Stormwind Arc after. Yeah, yeah, so have I. And so have I. And then once you're in the Stormwind, like if you load back in there, you can freely jump off of that and just coast back down to the main world. There's no there's no loading screen between those things. Like it's a seamless part yeah. of I wonder the- if you can fall out of it down to the mountain below. You can. During the you can. I've done it. Oh, yeah. not during I not assume during the so, dungeon. No, but I hadn't tested uh, it. during the dungeon you cannot because the stormhead is still active so if you fall too far down you get the infinite fall to your death <laughs> scream gotcha well it's kind of the different it's the same way that the great sky island is right um if you try to jump off the great sky island before you're supposed to then you get that thing that happens and you lose a heart but anytime after that <laughs> you're you're good to just like you know, jump straight off to anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, let's see. I I was disappointed to find that once I got into the dungeon, it had the same kind of internal structure as a divine beast where it's like, there's four points. They are unrelated to each other. Make your way, do like four individual puzzles in any order to get to them.
0: I agree, and that's why when I first finished the dungeon, I kind of went away being like, eh, it was better, but still not great. And then I had to, once I kind of brought myself back into the whole experience tied together was was better. I still don't think it reaches the dungeon itch that I'm looking for. Like the stone tower temples of the world, for right. instance. Yeah, and, and I don't I don't necessarily need... I say that like, I don't need. I say that I don't need a <laughs> Skyward Sword level dungeon or an Ocarina of Time or a Majora's Mask level dungeon. I say I don't need that. I kind of need that. Like, I, I, I really do. And I and I don't think it's impossible. Like, I, I really don't. Because they they segregated Stormwind Arc enough via loading screen. I, I don't see a reason that there, it couldn't have been a full... Back to front dungeon with a mini boss with a main mechanic. Like, sure, you're not going to get uh, an item, but you don't get an item in a link between worlds, and those were fully fleshed out dungeons. So, like, well, uh, yeah, I think, <laughs> well, like, they were they were certainly two thirds of a fully, fully <laughs> fleshed out dungeon, <laughs> Sure, but
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, the, the, there's there's really is, is no reason other than design philosophy of the game that these are not true dungeons. The the thing
1: that like the stuff that they feel like they're missing to me is a, a traditional Zelda dungeon has um, it introduces some mechanics and then it builds them up. You have to master them as you play through it. It starts combining them and and ratcheting up the stakes and giving you harder versions of them so that even though you've mastered the beginning of it, now you have to master it again. And then it gives you a a new mechanic via item halfway through that makes you approach those puzzles differently or gives you access to more of those puzzles. Um, And it doesn't have... These don't have that buildup. They don't have that buildup. They don't have the recontextualization that you get from a new item halfway through. And they're short and they're combat light. Not as light as the Divine Beasts were, but they still are. It's just trash Um, mobs. Yeah. So that's, that's ultimately why they still feel unsatisfying to me. Maybe if they had given you the ally halfway through the dungeon and then the ally joined you and gave you the ally's mechanic that could have functioned like a, getting an item halfway through a dungeon.
0: Yeah. Or even um, just unlocked a, an upgraded version of their ability or something. Like I think you're totally right, Max. Like th- there is, there is built in here a way to have a dungeon like that. And so this is such a funny thing to me because Assuming that the other dungeons follow a similar mechanic, which is that you have an NPC and you're relying on their, the thing that they do in order to beat the dungeon, which I'm, I'm assuming is the case. Um, basically, what that means is that what we have in this game is oops, all escort dungeons. No, it's not. I <laughs> knew you were going to say that. I knew you, I, as soon as you started the thought, I knew you were going there. It's not because your performance in the dungeon does not rely on keeping that entirely helpless NPC alive and with you at all times. They intrinsically follow you around. They follow you through the doors by themselves, <laughs> which was a big thing in Wind Waker for me, obviously. They don't even have doors. Exactly. So like, it's not, they're not escort missions. What I think of the NPCs as is a limited time, unique ability. And That you have that unique ability, and it's just for some reason tied to this person that's following you around. I don't, I I have feelings Mm -hmm. about the sage abilities compared to the champion abilities. I think champion abilities were better executed, personally. I don't like having the sages following me around. You just miss Rivali's Gale. (laughs) <laughs> I kind of miss Rivali's Gale. I'm more miss Urbosa's Fury. <laughs> um, but like uh, having to manually activate sage abilities via going up to the sage and pressing A twice is clunky. And I don't like it. Um, having them on demand via, you know, different button mapping uh, or activation was better in my opinion but um so no i don't think that they're escort missions i I don't either that's fair. it was a good joke yeah but anyway (laughs) Uh, i will
1: withhold i will hold off on commenting on kind of the ux of how you use their abilities until you two have had time to go through more dungeons gotcha fair enough Um. yeah
0: uh, but but I will say one thing that was a huge win here for me was just like we're talking about the theming of things and the ways in which, uh, you know, the Divine Beasts all felt too samey. You know, the, the Blight Ganons also all felt too samey to me. Yeah, oh, yeah. totally. And so oh. f- fighting what is essentially, I mean, Colgera could have been a boss in any other dungeon in any other Zelda game, right? For sure. Yeah, uh, I think. Yeah,
1: it finally Zelda bosses are back. Yes. That's how I felt when I was fighting that
0: thing. Absolutely. That thing jumps up out of the Stormwind arc, throws you up in the air, and you spend the entire time doing aerial combat, which, by the way, I don't know how they pulled this off, but aerial combat in a Zelda game feeling great and amazing. Like, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun. It was, it, that was a really fun fight. I enjoyed that course, thoroughly. of with-
1: course, kick ass uh, Rito village theme version of a boss battle. Theme.
0: I just loved that so so much I mean one of my like, one of my favorite things in Breath of the Wild was the fact that they kind of leveraged the Dragon Roost Island music for Rito village mm-hmm. and, and and they just take it a step further in the Colgara fight.
1: Yeah, and in the Rito Village, leading up to it, like there's like three or four versions of the Dragon's Island theme you hear over this chunk of the game, yep. and I love it every time. I was very slightly disappointed that I didn't get an awesome remix of Mul- of the Mulgara fight theme. Right, the <laughs> that would have but been fun. Wouldn't whatever, it? we can't we can't have everything. Yeah, <laughs> I, can't, I can't get all of my favorite songs <laughs> at
0: once. No, I yeah, I I think. What What is causing this to feel like a really satisfying overall experience to me is in a lot of ways about much more than just the experience of the dungeon. Um, the whole story and plot of what happens once you get to Rito Village and then that takes you all the way up the islands and then into the dungeon. That all just feels so great together. And I understand that that's like... Now we're having a much bigger conversation about a lot of different things, right? Like we're, you know, we're talking about how um, emotionally satisfying it is to see places that we visited in Breath of the Wild that are now in a different state and we're trying to fix them, right? Which, by the way, Frozen Rito Village, I mean, that's straight that, thats straight out of Ocarina of Time stuff right there. Yeah, except it actually melted afterwards. It did. <laughs> Which was awesome. But its it, it's like... I don't know. I, I would, I would say that right now in terms of the main story pursuits, I'm having trouble just separating my feelings out into just how I feel about the dungeon because as a whole, all taken together, it's all feeling so satisfying and there is a little bit of, um, bias just by virtue of the fact that I have spent so much time in this world already. Like, I feel emotionally attached to these places and these characters already. Um, you know, seeing Tiba now as the village elder in Rito Village and like seeing Rito Village, which was this beautiful place in Breath of the Wild, but is now frozen solid. Um oh when you get there and it's nothing but the
1: kids holding down the fort and you're like, oh no, where are all your parents? <laughs>
0: <laughs> they they seem like they did an okay job. I mean You shouldn't be having to fletch these arrows fletch them Right. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh but I, I think it's it's a case of the um the sum of all the parts together, you know, being really spectacular. Um and uh, and that, that's really all that I ever wanted. I mean, I, I think that so often in Breath of the Wild, the conversation just got distilled down into the dungeon itself specifically, right? And um, I, I think that what I'm finding is that the thing that I was missing wasn't so much that in and of itself. It was just the way that all of these things come together into a two or three hour experience that feels... Um, emotionally fulfilling by the time that you've gotten it all done. Yeah.
1: Which, uh, w- that's an interesting observation because that's another thing. Like, that's kind of the Ocarina of Time style dungeon experience. A dungeon is the the center of a larger arc that involves usually like a new village, new characters, a new sage. Uh, you know, you you arrive there and there's problems and you fix them. And that's something that's missing from the 2D Zelda games. Like when you played A Link Between Worlds, you didn't have that kind of arc for each dungeon. And that's part of what makes them feel like these abrupt experiences. You just suddenly dungeon. Um, so it was really cool to have that whole arc well, back. And I think it's it's dungeon.
0: so fun because talking again about the comparisons to Ocarina of Time, um, in Ocarina of Time, you had this it's basically a two part story, right? Where you discover all of these places as a child. And then as an adult, you come back and everything's kind of gone to shit and you have to solve for that. Um, and, and so, and so there was like, there was emotional investment in that just over the course of one, I don't know, 30 hour game, if even that right. 30 hours is probably generous for Ocarina of time. Um, But in Tears of the Kingdom, you have the exact same thing happening, but – and once again with the caveat that this only really applies for Breath of the Wild players, uh, which we are – you have that exact same thing happening over the course of two games, which is yet another feather in the cap of the argument for why I think the reuse of the Breath of the Wild world was actually a big net positive – um, for as much as people were worried about it going into this game, it's like, oh, reusing assets and just, you know, spending more time in the, <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> reusing assets. Can never hear that enough. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it actually ends up being a huge boon to the success of this game and its story. I
1: uh, I agree. Um, I think there's, I, I ultimately, I'm not going to lie, I would have rather had a new land to explore. Um, But... In the absence of that, I do think they found a ton of really cool like strengths and benefits from doing kind of a six year time jump or whatever, whatever it is. I don't actually know how long the time jump is, uh, but it feels like five or six years.
0: Sacred Realms headcanon is six years. It's real time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So they, they found a lot of benefits from this that could only have been done by doing the same world with the time jump right? Like you run across places that you had emotional attachments to, and they have changed. You can run across characters that you met and had emotional attachments to, and they have changed or grown or taken on new roles in the world. Or you get that thing we were talking about earlier where like in Breath of the Wild, the world felt desolate and it was kind of dangerous because, you know, guardian might spot you from a half of a mile away and you have to run for cover. And now it's bustling and filled with people. Uh, You know, you explored Hyrule and now the the ruins of the like exploring ruins is now something you do in the sky and exploring the unknown is something you do underground Um, like having that contrast is really cool.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the dungeon section because I want to talk about something that's more, uh, you know, an observation about Tears of the Kingdom generally. But this is this is where the dungeon section ends. We're not talking about that dungeon, not even going to say its name now anymore. This is the timestamp is here. Um, So talking about the differences of the different areas of the world so you're saying that ultimately you would have preferred to have a new map Uh, and I respect that do you feel like the because the depths and the sky islands both have very alien vibes from what you get on the surface right I mean the sky islands have like a very honestly skyward sword-esque feeling ancient Mm -hmm. um, aesthetic and vibe to them and then the depths are I mean, they've got kind of like Stranger Things, Upside Down sort of stuff going on. Um, the depths feel like Metroid. Depths do feel like Metroid. That's that's one hundred percent true. Do you feel like the those additions are enough to keep this game's experience fresh? I mean, like obviously we've already said that this game does feel fresh just by virtue of its suite of mechanics. Um, but let's just talk about like the the feel of the game world.
1: Um. Yes. In a word, yes. I I think it is enough. Uh, there is... I don't feel like I'm lacking things to explore. Even the areas I have, I know from Breath of the Wild, like I'm still interested in seeing what's different or finding these old characters. And then when I do actually have like a, a hankering for exploring new lands, I can go underground and find some creepy, dark... What? And look around and uh, I I can, once I go down there, I happily explore for like two or three hours before I like in like, okay, time to go up for air. Um, The sky islands are actually probably the place I'm having spending the least amount of time because they're not contiguous. You can't just go from one sky island to another, to another, to another, uh, unless you get crazy into building flying contraptions, I guess um so like ultimately it's like it's like this weird uh peninsula from the land below for me it's like i find a new sky tower that shoots me up in the air and i can explore the adjacent sky islands and then i have to move on um so they feel like an extension of the exploring the normal overworld experience to me
0: yeah no i i I think that's fair and i i definitely will say that uh just because of that, I, my, my experience with the sky has been much more segmented than anything else. Um, and it, it, yeah. it really is completely contingent on um, if I happen to be near a sky view tower, right? Um, because that's your fastest and easiest way to get back up there. Um, unless unless you've already been up there and you've gotten a shrine or something, and then you just want to strike out in a different direction. Um, but I, I, I definitely see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I assume that f- exploring like the, f- the far extents of the sky is going to require like, I don't know, getting a bunch of battery upgrades and making a plane or something. Yeah, I don't think everything is accessible from the sky view towers. I
0: will say it I definitely not. Yeah, no, no. I, I will say um, I keep seeing these giant floating cubes in the sky. And uh, at this point in the game, I haven't visited one but I have an idea that those are the Lome labyrinths from Breath of the Wild that have just risen into the sky. And so I really want to go check uh one of those out. And oh, see you're what's going partially on. correct. Okay. All right. That answer intrigues hmm. me and that makes me even more excited to go check one of those out. So I'm gonna go do that sooner rather than later. Um Yeah, I haven't been to one of those yet either. Yeah. Um, Okay, so before we get out of here, Max, I want to pass it over to you and just say, you know, if there is anything that you wanted to talk about um, on this episode, like some burning thoughts you had in the back of your mind that you just you got to hash it out, then uh, this is your time to go nuts. Well, there's so much. There's so much. Uh,
1: (laughs) What do I want to pick for my last topic? I... I kind of wanted to talk about weapon durability changes, but that's less interesting. I'm less excited about that than the other thing I want to talk about, which is just, I love the depths. Um, Like I already talked a little bit about what the experience is like the first time I fell into one and like had that growing realization of just how vast they were. Uh, but I think they're super cool because they're an ex- their type of exploration experience that has not existed in a Zelda game before. Uh, I remember talking to Melora a few years ago uh, after Breath of the Wild came out, and we were both like, "We love this. We think it's the best game ever made. We just wish that there was an underworld. Like we felt like that was missing." Um, and then when they when they revealed that they were going to reuse the same world from Breath of the Wild for this game, I remember thinking to myself like. What could they actually do? What new dimensions could they add to the same world to make it interesting to explore again? And the stuff I came up with was uh the sky, because they'd already revealed the sky at that point, an underworld, and then the last thing I thought of was being able to go underwater. Uh so like it's been kind of fun to see some like the prediction of the underworld come true here. Um but they went so far above and beyond what I ever imagined. Like when I imagined Underworld, I thought like there are dungeons and they go underground. I didn't imagine. Like Shadow Temple S. Yeah. Like it's just big cave systems. <laughs> but I did not imagine this vast world where like they have a totally new system where you need to put down light. And, you know, up above when you're exploring, it's all about getting to a high place getting sight lines on objectives like shrines or temples or towns or uh, stables. And then like going there, like, right. It's like getting high, picking a goal, walking towards it. Uh, But down here, it's like, it feels dangerous. It's kind of like this attrition economy because you can't really get new food and your maximum health is draining as you get hit. And, um, you know, you're kind of running out of like hammer, items as you mine stuff. Um, so it's all about like finding the next point of light and like getting the relief from the tension of exploring the darkness. Um, and that's a very, like it's, it's a feels very inhospitable, um, and, uh, alienating in a way that Zelda exploration very rarely does. That's why it feels like Metroid because Metroid exploration is like that all the time. Um, But like, it really feels like you're in a hostile, like you almost feel like you're on another planet. Like I'm on Mars
0: right now. Yeah. When you're down there. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about last week, and I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this, is one of the one of the things that we said we love so much about exploration in Breath of the Wild during that season was the way in which you were incentivized to explore, which is by line of sight. Right. And specifically looking for Sheikah structures that are still orange. You know, that whole orange versus blue mechanic where blue means you've cleared it, orange means that you still have yet to visit it, and you can see them from most everywhere. And so players kind of like strike out in a direction in Hyrule trying to get to that point of orange light um, and just see what they find along the way. In the depths, you have kind of the inverse of that, right? Which is that you've got sensory deprivation, essentially. uh, And then via you know, a consumable item via bright blooms, you can kind of traverse and you can kind of see light roots scattered around, but it makes for a very, very different kind of exploration in a space that has almost as many things to find. And I'm just curious what you think about that.
1: Uh, yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it's, it's a pretty spot on observation. Um, it's cool. Like it's valuable from an experience perspective that it contrasts so heavily with the overworld exploration, right? Like the fact that it feels different is really important to this game. Um, Like there, there's such a big danger of exploring the underground feeling like, Oh crap, it's all kind of the same shit. Just finding uh, the same thing over and over again. I can see it from a mile away. I just got to go to it, but they did a good job of like, varying the terrain, varying your line of sight, making you find like areas that f- like I've had that experience of like wandering into a section of the pl- area and like being like, "Oh, this is not what I expected. Like look at that thing or look at that the scale of it's different than I thought. Like I'd try not to be too specific here, but <laughs> uh they managed to not fall into the trap of it feeling like a big flat plane underground. Right. Like the, Um, which I was a little bit afraid of. Well, so
0: like the sensory deprivation is not the end all be like, it's not like, it's not like you're just in an endless uniform space and you're just trying to make it from one light route to the next. Right. Like there are, there are structures, there is topography there. Yeah. There's a lot of hidden things to discover. Like so many, so, so, so many. (laughs) it has a cool
1: feeling of conquering space that you don't usually get from Zelda. We get a little bit of that with, with unveiling the map above ground. Like once you reveal the map in an area, it feels a little bit like you've made it your own. Right. Um, But underground, it's really strong. Like you feel like you're in a, in danger until you light up the space. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you don't feel like you're in danger anymore. You like, Gradually conquering the underground is is very appealing to me um, last I guess the last major note about all this is I love the way that the different layers of the world interconnect um, like when you're in the sky islands, you can find treasure maps. Have either of you found treasure maps yet yes I found quite a few
0: okay good
1: <laughs> so you know it puts a x down underground for you so bam suddenly your exploration of the sky yielded a new objective to go find in the underground and when you're exploring the underground you're finding light roots and every light route corresponds to a shrine so now you know oh there's an objective above ground above where this light route was there's a shrine there that i need to go find
0: mm-hmm.
1: and vice versa um, you know, if you find a shrine, you know, there's a light route down there. So they kind of do this thing where they introduce objectives on different layers of the world by exploring each layer. Um,
0: and then of course the, the literal interconnections in the form of the chasms and the, the sky towers. Well, and even one layer past that is the way that you're, you're incentivized to explore this space because it is, uh, inextricably tied to advancement in one of the game's core economies. Which is the upgrading of your battery, right? Um, like the the main way by which you do that is collecting zonite and resources tied to that economy, and the best place to do that is in the depths, right? Um, which is uh, which is interesting, and I think is was a really good decision, right? Because in a vacuum, like a, a space can be really cool in and of itself, and exploration can be really fun in and of itself, but if you've got this this zonite energy cell. Tied to one of the main mechanics of the game, which is your ability to create vehicles and uh, use them to traverse from one place to the next, um, you know, upgrading that cell, it, it kind of really requires you to spend some time down here. I, I think that was a really good decision. Yeah, it
1: makes me think of the uh, it was Skyward Sword had something like this that wasn't as successful uh, treasure chest down below that would lead you up to sky islands
0: (laughs) right or was it
1: the other way around
0: uh yeah it was yeah you would find um you would find goddess cubes on the surface and then they would unlock chests on the sky islands and that became the only reason to go to any of those (laughs) yeah Yeah.
1: basically did they did not have (laughs) as much of a rich it was it was unbalanced
0: (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) the above the sky world versus the
0: bottom land were unbalanced there In, in a word yes (laughs) <laughs> yeah cool well yeah completely agree and uh you know personally can't wait to spend a little bit more time in the depths i think that there's i i've barely scratched the surface and uh the amount of time that i spent down there has been very much tied to geographical areas right like i, I spent some time on the great plateau and there was there's obviously a the little side quest on the great plateau that kind of bounces you down into the depths for a little bit mm-hmm. and then something sort of similar in another area um that we haven't talked about yet and uh i think i just found that one yeah and so and what i really want to do is just spend some time down there just freewheeling like without a goal just checking things out and, and really trying to activate some yeah. light roots and i think like i said earlier i think that's going to be priority numero uno for me after i discover the rest of the memories but Um, anyway, this has all been really great discussion. I think we've canvassed some really great stuff and I can't wait until we're a little bit more in the clear, uh, in terms of, um, you know, just being confident that we've all played most of the game up until a point and can discuss it in more depth. Um, obviously, you know, we'll be analyzing it more critically, um, way down the road when we're actually ranking it and reviewing it against other things. But, for now, it's just all fun discovery. Uh, we're all on this journey together. And yeah. Yeah. You really can't. There's, there's no replacement for that. It's, a, it's an amazing feeling. Um, and I'm really glad that we could have you on to talk about it, Max.
1: Yeah, it's been an honor. Thanks for having me, giving me a chance to, I don't know, express all of my unending excitement for this new Zelda game. <laughs> we'll get back
0: to it at another time. Just bottle some of that up and save it for a future date.
1: Oh, Yeah. I I would have several more episodes this length in me if we wanted. So uh,
0: I'll wait for a year or two when you get to it. Sounds good to me. Uh, Before we get out of here, Max, why don't you go ahead and drop social handles? Just let everybody know where they can uh, follow you and uh, all the different projects you're working on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So my personal game design blog is namelessquality.com. I don't know if I've ever dropped that one in the podcast. I was going to say, that's
0: totally new to
1: even me. You can find me on Twitter with just Max Nichols. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-S. And, uh, of course, my major project, Zelda-related right now, is Hyrule Interviews, which is hyruleinterviews.com, or at Hyrule Interview, without the S, on Twitter, uh, where I post daily quotes uh, that I've unearthed from old interviews.
0: Um, And that's about, I think that's everything. Awesome. I definitely highly recommend everybody go give Max follow at all those places and uh, specifically recommend Hyrule interviews because, um, I mean, honestly, I I love the little screen grabs that you drop on Twitter um, with little snippets of conversations from Zelda devs of years past. Um, I find them enlightening and it's uh, it's very fun, especially, you know, um, I feel like a lot of times the language barrier between the Japanese studios and the Western world leads to us. Enjoying the things that they make, but not having a a real good direct window into the thought processes that created those things. And um, Mm. so I really appreciate what you're doing because it's kind of shining a light on that um, and making it very accessible for everybody. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, And, of course, we're going to continue our Tears of the Kingdom coverage at least through next week. I think, you know, Matt and I have talked about it. Pretty sure we're going to extend out a few more weeks at least. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, originally this was going to be a four episode thing and... Think where we're at right now is that nobody's exactly in the mood for us to go start talking about Phantom Hourglass just yet. So, uh, um, which is, you know, not to cast any aspersions on Phantom Hourglass unfairly, but uh <laughs> it's it's Tears of the Kingdom time right now, and we we all just want to live in that. So um I speaking for myself, can't imagine pulling myself away from Tears of the Kingdom to go play uh anything else. So No, that's absolutely accurate. I'm very excited to do uh, a lot more Tears of the Kingdom uh, playthroughs and and chats. And I I know we're definitely going to be doing a... um, discord Q and a um, preferably a live Q and a, if we can get that going. So um, if anybody's listening that would like to uh, submit some questions and maybe hang out with us while we talk via our discord, you can always access that through our Patreon. Um, it's only a dollar a month. And then you can sit in there with us and chat with some really excellent folks and uh submit some questions for episodes. But uh, I know we're going to do that. And then we probably need to figure out what, uh, what else we're we gonna do before we wrap up? Yeah, someone should really sit down and plan this out, right? I feel like that's probably our job. <laughs> but if anyone has any ideas, like we're we're, we're accepting of ideas. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, if you have suggestions for things you'd like to see talked about um, before we, you know, move on from Tears of the Kingdom bonus content back into regular stuff, then hit us up on our socials and on Discord if you're over there. Um, Definitely open to suggestions because uh, there's a lot of stuff to pick from right now, and um, we're, we're pretty much open to all of it outside of, you know, the ending of the actual game, which we will not be talking about yeah we're, we're we're not gonna force ourselves to beat this game quickly no absolutely not I, th- I think that's the biggest thing right like i i really am just not wanting to rush through this right now um i want my first experience with this game to be organic and to and to be everything that it uh it should be after a six-year wait and all the build-up yeah absolutely same cool all right well let's get out of here for the night max great to talk to you man we'll catch up with you soon okay yeah, alrighty. See you around. Okay, if y'all enjoyed today's show and would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash Sacred Realms Pod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy. Hylians, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with more thoughts on The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Tears of the Kingdom can be played on the Nintendo Switch. In the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss. We'll catch y'all next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!